Welcome to the Heights Sermon Series Podcast, where each week you'll hear a new message that'll help you with your life shaped by the Word. I, I, you know, April, Easter, they kind of go together. I don't know about you, but I'm kind of finally glad to be here in April since I've been preaching on Easter since the middle of February. Uh, if, you're, if you're new to our church, uh, as you just saw, we're in a series called Easter at Luke's, and we've been walking verse by verse through every detail of Jesus' last week uh, leading up to the death, burial, and resurrection. And so today is our seventh Sunday doing this out of nine. And, uh, you know, I've, I've kind of been wondering, especially when we got to last week, if anybody here sees the corner I'm painting myself into. Uh, my son actually noticed. I'm kind of proud of that. He called me up. I don't remember what day it was, Wednesday or Thursday this week, and and said, you you just preached on the, he was listening to my message online, and he goes, you just preached the message on the crucifixion, and I'm assuming you're doing the resurrection this Sunday, what are you doing on Easter? And I said, I'm just going to tell everybody they should have been here two weeks ago, it was awesome. So uh, yeah, I was kind of following Luke here, I wait, wait, wait a minute, how did I do this? Because we are looking at the resurrection today, but guess what, Luke the Holy Spirit have something very appropriate for us as we round out, as we finish up Luke. We're going to kind of see where we go from here. And that's where we live, right? I, I mean, that's what they're doing at the end of Luke 24. The crucifixion, the resurrection has happened. Now what? And that's where we've always lived. So that's what we'll be looking at uh, on Easter Sunday, and of course, as you've heard announced, this coming Sunday, Palm Sunday, we're actually going back into the week we've already traveled through. We're going back to Thursday night, we're going to the upper room, and uh, we're going to go in there with the disciples, not to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but to celebrate Passover, out of which Jesus gives us the Lord's Supper. So what we're going to be doing next week, as was mentioned, Rabbi Paul Clausen will be with us, and we're going to have a table set up here, and there'll be actually nine people uh, having this Seder, this Passover meal, and you'll observe that. And I think about the way I just said that, that sounds awful. I can't think of anything I'd rather not do is watch you eat, you know. But... The Passover meal is not like what you and I think of sitting down to Christmas or Thanksgiving where we just chow in and maybe we say thank yous or maybe have certain traditions and and other than that, it's just rambling talk. No, everything in a Passover meal is scripted. Uh, everything on the table has meaning. Every bit of the food has meaning. That, that's not just true because we're doing it in front of a church. That would be true if you were in a Jewish home in their kitchen having Passover. It, it, everything. So you're going to see all of that. You will have the Lord's Supper and you'll see when the bread comes out of that meal. And the cup, there's five cups. We only think of one, but there's five cups. You're going to see the one 
that we get the Lord's Supper from. So I think it'll be very insightful, a lot of fun. You want to be here? This is really an in-person type thing because, well, we're celebrating communion. uh, And I I think you'd want to invite somebody with you. I think it's going to be a lot of fun next Sunday. If you are watching online, make a little note to yourself that we will be celebrating communion. So get those elements ready and have them there when you turn on the stream uh, next week. And, And of course, we'll be talking about Israel, excited to get that back on the table. We'll be going there and talk about a soon coming interest meeting. Uh, if you're interested in that, we have our, our special offering uh, next week. Uh, Karen and I already put it in this morning uh, in our giving app so that it'll show up and be there next week. But uh, hope you're thinking about that, praying about that, how we give. You know, it's, it's funny, right as we announce this special offering... The situation with Ukraine happened, gas prices going up, and of course a lot of us have done a lot of giving to Todd Gallagher and his work there in Ukraine. And you start thinking, hey, is this, there's a lot of things colliding here. Is this, is this going to be a special offering or not? But uh, man, I'm just trusting God is going to show that, as show himself there in us and through us. You all have done an incredible job of giving uh, to the Ukraine situation. We're actually up at the, the last price or total that I saw was I think Monday or Tuesday. We're up close to 170000 uh that has been given toward that. Yeah. And um, it, it's, it's funny. You don't know these things going into it. We've ta- talked with our lawyer and we're going to get to do a special audit because of your amount of giving. <laughs> toward that. Thanks so much. Oh, by the way, not from the IRS. We're going to be audited by Homeland Security because you don't get to send that kind of money overseas without drawing attention. So uh, again, thank you all very much for loving the Lord and serving the work of missions. But uh, you know, it, it'll be an easy audit. He, audit. He's, he's kept very good receipts, so much of it for medical supplies, for food. It's, it's very easily identifiable how this is, is being used. So uh, real exciting. Looking for next week's going to be a, 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 an incredible week. I hope you're here and a part of that. And Wednesday night. Gosh, Wednesday night. We had, as I said, did you hear... Uh, Pastor uh, David there said we had 389 last last time we gathered for prayer. I've got to teach him how to speak pastorally. We we don't say 389, David. We say we had close to 400. <laughs> Always got to learn how to speak ministerially there. So, uh, but we really did have an incredible time, and there's there's we're tweaking that and changing that some. 6:30 this Wednesday night we'll be in here. Uh, for a great time of prayer. I hope you can be here. It'll be the best hour you spend this week. Boy, this really just turned into a roll of announcements, didn't it? I did. Let's talk about the resurrection. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. And let me begin in verse 47. Luke 23, verse 47. It says, When the Roman officer overseeing the execution saw what had happened... He worshiped God and said, surely this man was innocent. And when all the crowd that came to see the crucifixion saw what had happened, they went home in deep sorrow. But Jesus' friends, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching. 
Now, there was a good and righteous man named Joseph. He was a member of the Jewish high council, but he had not agreed with the decision and actions of the other religious leaders. He was from the town of Arimathea in Judea, and he was waiting for the kingdom of God to come. He went to Pilate, and he asked for Jesus' body. And then he took the body down from the cross and wrapped it in a long sheet of linen cloth, laid it in the new tomb that had been carved out of rock. This was done late on Friday afternoon, the day of preparation, as the Sabbath was about to begin. As his body was taken away, the women from Galilee followed and saw the tomb where his body was placed. They went home and prepared spices and ointments to anoint his body. But by the time they were finished, the Sabbath had begun. So they rested as required by the law. But very early on Saturday morning, chapter 24, verse 1, but very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. So they went in, but they they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. As they stood there puzzled, two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who's alive? He isn't here. He's risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee. That's going to be kind of our key thought for this morning where we're going with the passage. Just that phrase, remember what he told you. That the Son of Man must be betrayed into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples. That's the first time that number's been used. They were always the 12 disciples up till about 48 hours ago. Now it's 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. It sounded like nonsense. So they didn't believe it. It's so shameful when believers don't believe Believers don't believe. However, Peter jumped up and he ran to the tomb to look, stooping, and and others went with Peter. Stooping, he peered in and saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again. And again, this last phrase, wondering what had happened. Why are you wondering what had happened? You know, I uh, I don't call out biblical characters very often. I don't say shame on them. Look at them. They shouldn't have. They they should have. I, I don't call out biblical characters because I know, as I hope you know, that God puts these characters here and they're real characters. These are real stories. This really happened. But God puts them in the Bible for us because these biblical characters show you and me, you and me. So I'm always careful saying, look at these fools. But look at these fools. I I cannot help but wonder why the 11 
disciples had not gathered up a good picnic lunch and a tent and gone and camped out Saturday night in the garden tomb waiting for Jesus, anticipating Jesus coming through that tomb any minute now. Why weren't they out there looking for that? Now, we do know what's gone on the last 48 hours prior to this, right? I I, I mean, grief. Grief is real. Sometimes it puts us in a place we didn't anticipate being, uh, responding in ways we didn't anticipate we would respond after what they'd observed, after what they had watched on Friday. We can certainly appreciate they're pretty overwhelmed with grief, right? And so maybe that's why they weren't out there anticipating. Or how about the Roman guards that are out there? I don't know. I'm thinking if I had watched the Roman guards do to Jesus what I'd watch them do to Jesus, I'm thinking, you know, I don't want to hang out with the Roman guards if it's okay. I think I'll just stay here. So maybe I can come up with some ideas and understand why they didn't go out there and wait. But when the, when the women, women they were friends with, women they were close with, this same group of women is mentioned a couple of other times. This is the women that supported them financially. I mean, how, how did Jesus and these guys travel around and, and eat and have the resources that they needed? These women. This group of women right here is who funded this little project. So they've depended upon these ladies. And they come and say, there's, there's angels and, and there's, there's no body and, and Jesus is alive. And they call that nonsense? Shame on them. Shame on them for that. Peter goes out and other disciples with him just to verify what's happening. Did they go to the right tomb? What, 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 what's going on here? And he gets there and, and walks away wondering. How do you wonder, Peter? Where is the disconnect where your belief is no belief at all? Shame on them. They're fools. They don't deserve to see the resurrected Christ. That's a, that's a hard statement, isn't it? <laughs> the pastor getting after the disciples today. Now, you know, I, I can back up a little bit and think, okay, now what is it we're actually talking about them to go out there and see? Oh, a dead guy walking through a tomb. You know, that's not normal. That's not even abnormal. That doesn't happen. I mean, there's some pretty good reason. I'm just going to go out here and sit in this graveyard until they... You know, comes walking out. No, I, I, I get that. That's kind of the unbelievable. But we worship the God of the impossible. And shame on us if that's only a neat thought when we're singing. We worship the God of the impossible. And the God of the impossible has said exactly what he's going to do. He's given us all kinds of clues so that we can see it coming from a distance. So that the unbelievable could be very believable. I want to give you two reasons today that they should not have called this nonsense. That it was wrong for them to do that. Two reasons. Number one, prophecy. Prophecy told them to be looking for this. Secondly, and secondly, is re- the second one is all they really needed. 
They didn't even need number one. And they need number one because number one is a part of it. But number two stands all by itself. Number two is Jesus told them to be looking for this. Oh, when believers don't believe. So the prophecy. Okay, God knows, hey, people coming out of graves, that's not normal. I want you to be looking for this. I want you to believe this. So I'm going to give you some clues. I'm going to give you plenty of things to be looking at so you can check it off and say, yeah, this is exactly what we should be looking for. So we know all the way throughout the Old Testament, there is prophecy concerning the Messiah. God wants us to be able to identify who the Messiah is. And one of those prophecies is that he's going to go to the place of the dead, but he's not going to stay in the place of the dead. Psalm 16, verse 10, and and I'm, I'm going to give you a couple of verses. You'll see the verse that I'm quoting. You'll see when it was written, and then you'll see the verse that that prophecy was fulfilled in. So Luke 16, 10 says, hey, when you're looking for the Messiah, you'll know because God is not going to abandon him to Sheol. Sheol is the place of the dead. Or let your holy one see corruption. Holy one is a title of Jesus. It is a title of the Messiah. Interestingly enough, uh, one group of people that use uh, the title holy one the most is the demons. Demons refer to Jesus a lot as the Holy One. But what we have here is a prophecy saying the Messiah is going to die. He is going to go to the place of the dead, but he's not going to stay there. Well, how long is he going to stay there? Well, he's not going to undergo corruption. He's not going to rot. Okay, so he's not going to be there very long, is he? Now, you know, on this side of Jesus, you know, a lot of things, I mean, when you're looking back, 2020 vision, right? It always becomes very clear. When it hasn't happened yet, you might wonder, what does that mean? What does that look like? He's going to go to the place of the dead, but he's not going to stay there. He's not going to rot. I, 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 I don't know, but it, boy, it puts me on alert to be looking for something like that, right? Remember, these guys... The disciples have already said they believe Jesus is the Messiah. It's one thing if I don't know where to look. It's one thing if I don't know who the Messiah is. But they've already identified, they've already confessed their belief that Jesus is the Messiah, which means they would go to Messianic passages. And they would know that applies to Jesus. I need to be looking. So they know, hey, he's going to go to the dead, but he ain't going to stay there. That says you should have been looking for this. How about this one in Psalm 22? I've always been amazed by Psalm 22 and Isaiah 53. They're two incredible passages that read as if the person writing them was standing and looking at the cross because of the incredible detail that it gives. But as you can see, it was Psalm 22 is written in the 900s BC, 900 years before Jesus. Isaiah 53, 700 years before Jesus. And as a matter of fact, in In Psalm 22, 900, go back to Psalm 22. Uh, Crucifixion didn't exist then. Dying on a cross was not a way of killing people in the 900s BC. And yet look at this detail. They've pierced my hands and my feet. That's pretty detailed, isn't it? 
They've pierced my hands and feet. I count on my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. Every single one of those things happened at the cross, even though this was written 900 years prior. Uh, that, that I can count on my bones means I, I got all my bones. None of them are broken. You know, as we talked about last week, and I won't repeat last week, but the normal way to end a crucifixion was to break the legs of those that were being crucified. And when they came to Jesus, they saw he was already dead. They did not break his legs because God had already determined 900 years ago that wasn't going to happen. And instead, just to make sure he was dead, they pierced his side, fulfilling Isaiah 53. They will look on him whom they have pierced. I mean, folks, all these details. Now, again, remember, I've already said I believe he's the Messiah. And now I go to the prophecies. And with Jesus, I can just go, check, check. Look at one more, Isaiah 53. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Now, that's a strange line, isn't it? I mean, I can see on the other side of Jesus, prior to Jesus, looking, I'm thinking about myself as like an Old Testament Jew prior to Jesus. What does that mean? Grave with the Messiah? All of Isaiah 53 is about the Messiah, but he's, he's going to go to death with the wicked, but he's going to be with a rich man when he goes. What, what does that look like? What is that? Hey, I can get that we don't know exactly what that would look like or mean, but then Jesus... There he is, the righteous one, the holy one, the one who's innocent, yet he's being executed on a cross. That's where criminals go. And was he there by himself? No, on each side of him was two thieves. To his death, he went with the wicked. And he was with a rich man. Well, where's the rich man? Joseph of Arimathea gave Jesus his tomb. You say, well, how, how, do you, how do you know he was rich? Well, his, his position in society meant he was probably well-to-do. Plus, he had a tomb. That's not something everybody had back then. He had a tomb that, that meant he was rich. And all of a sudden, wow, Lord, I would have never known how you were going to fulfill that verse. I didn't even know what that verse meant. But wow, check. Yeah, Believing people, if somebody's going to walk out of the tomb is hard to believe. But boy, when God puts all this detail around it and it's just check, 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 all of a sudden the unbelievable becomes quite believable. So if we just stop right there, there's, they've already communicated they believe Jesus is the Messiah. And by the way, that's not all of the prophecy. We're not doing a, a deep dive into prophecy today. I'm just trying to give you enough to show if these guys were keeping any kind of list at all, Jesus is checking off all the boxes. Now, I, you know, everything I just said assumes... Peter knew Psalm 16, and I'm pretty sure he did because in Acts chapter 4, he's going to quote it. But but let's say he did some study after the fact, okay? I'm assuming that that the disciples know Psalm 16, Isaiah 53, Psalm 22. And I would say I have the utmost confidence that they absolutely did. I have absolutely no doubt that they knew those passages. But let's just for a moment say they didn't know. Okay, well, Jesus told them. Jesus told them exactly 
what was going to happen. I've got up here for you 922. I didn't put 921, but if I did, here's what 921 says. And Peter said, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. So there's already a communicated faith, a communicated belief. You're not like everybody else. You're what we've been waiting for from the Old Testament what? Prophecy for centuries. And I believe you're him. And then Jesus says, well, let's talk about how Israel's going to treat its Messiah. The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed. Check, check, check. And on the third day, Jesus doesn't just say that he's going to be raised. He doesn't just say, I'm not going to rot, just like it said in Psalm 16.10. He tells them what day it's going to happen. And on the third day will be raised. There's at least three times in the Gospels that Jesus plainly, very straightforward, communicates. That's one of them. Communicates that information right there. There's a handful of other times it's a little more subtle. But the bottom line is the Scriptures told them to be out there looking. Jesus told them to be out there looking. Shame on them. Shame on them that they were not out there looking. Yes, it's hard to believe. Yes, it's the unbelievable. But God has made it very believable, very possible. Dare I say we should believe. We should know that he is coming out of that tomb. Oh, If we could just wrap up right here and say shame on them. Are we any different? You and I throw the word belief around in ways that it actually has no real actual meaning. What what would it look like? What would it mean if the disciples believed what Jesus told them in 922. Would not that faith and that belief affect their mood? Yeah, they're grieving. Grieving is real. We live in a world that's going to bring you into a variety of emotions. But isn't believing in a resurrected Savior somewhere going to affect that mood? Affect that emotions? Is it not going to affect my actions? I'm not going to be in hiding, but I'm going to be out doing what Jesus told me to do. Should it not affect my relationships? Here are these these women that they know, that they trust, that they've depended on. And they're calling what they say nonsense? Is is a resurrected Christ that you, I mean, I'm assuming the tremendous majority of us here watching online, we're here, we're watching because we would say, I believe Jesus is alive. Is that belief affecting your mood, your relationships, and your actions? Now, again, I would assume a whole lot of us are going to say, I I hope so. I, I I want them to. Well, we don't have to hope and wonder we're not, we're not throwing at a, at a target on the wall we can't see. Just look back over the last seven days. What would you point to? Here are all the things. It would be plural. It would be many. 
Here are all the things I did because Jesus is alive. And here's all the things I did not do because Jesus is alive. We should be able to point to it. Now, if right now you're going, uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm not, I, I, I'm not sure. Then let me answer the question for you. You are a believer who does not believe. You are not living in light of a resurrected Savior. Living in light of a resurrected Savior entails very clear choices every day, all day, in light of that resurrection. There is no piece of evidence or truth or event that is more guiding and shaping your life. And you know when you're doing it. People around you know when you're doing it. So if you're not abundantly clear that you have lived every day, all day, the last seven days in light of that, then you're not. Let's stop pretending there's some massive, safe, I don't know area that we can live in. It is a shame when believers don't believe. If I say Jesus is alive, that means I have hope, right? Oh, we throw that word around. I have hope. We have hope. You know what that means? It means you and I carry hope into the most hopeless places in our lives. Are you doing that? Isn't it funny how we throw that word around in here and then we fall apart out there and don't make any connection to how I'm living like an unbeliever? It's, it's real. If he's really alive, then we really have hope and we carry that hope into hopeless places. If he's really alive, I'm forgiven. If he's really alive, forgiveness is a big, big deal. So you know what that means? I no longer live chained to the pains and abuses that others have brought into my life. And it means I carry forgiveness into the unforgiving people in my life, the unforgivable people in my life. Hey, if he's, if he's really alive, this is my family. That is not a warm, fuzzy, oh, I love my church. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a spiritual principle that Jesus teaches. Upon his resurrection, you and I become brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a family that the priority we have to one another rises up to, if not above, our biological family. Go ahead and tweet that. Now, that, that didn't in no way, shape, or form does that drop our biological family down. No, everything God says I need to be and do as a husband, as a father, as a son, as a grandfather, that's all still applies. But Jesus actually said this family rises above. You, you, you know what that means? That means I engage with you. I'm involved with you. I am committed to you. I am loyal to you as a family. Hey, we're, we're coming to a special offering. You know why, why I already have given, why I've put that in? Because my family's doing that. Hey, if a group of strangers are giving to a cause, maybe I do that, maybe I don't. If I'm moved by the cause, maybe I will. If I like the strangers, maybe I will. But this isn't a group of strangers, and it's not a cause. It's our family. 
When our family gathers to pray, I mean, I can't imagine my wife, my children, my grandchildren down in the living room gathering for prayer. And uh, y'all go ahead. I'm going to finish watching entertainment tonight. No, my, I, I mean, I was doing something right now, but okay, if my family's gathering to pray at Wednesday at 630, I'm going to do that. Do you, do you see how that, folks, the resurrection has to show up. It's not just to sing about, and it's not just something to say, I believe, because clearly the Bible is showing us it's very possible to say you believe in something and be an unbeliever, and shame on you for being such. And it's not me who actually calls them fools. It's Jesus. I told you to be looking for this. Live like it. And on this side, he would say, I, I did it. I did it. I conquered death. Not for me. I didn't conquer death for me. I conquered it for you. So stop saying you believe it and then acting hopeless. Stop saying you believe it and then live chained to the brokenness of this world. Stop saying you believe it and then walk into this place and treat it like little more than a building of people you gather with periodically. Stop saying you believe it and don't tell anybody. Because the last clear command he said over and over and over and over to his people is go tell people I'm alive. Oh, I don't know what I would say. Jesus is alive. That's it. You say, well, I don't know a lot of scriptures, and I don't know how to defend it, and I don't know how to answer hard questions. Just say Jesus is alive and leave it up to God to do the rest. Are we believers who believe? Or are we believers who don't? Let's pray. Father, I I, I do pray that as we walk away from here today, uh, I I pray this is an an overwhelming, a consuming thought in our hearts and lives the rest of this day and all through this week. I pray on every situation we come up on, a situation that makes us excited, a situation that makes us mad, a, a, a situation where we see an opportunity to seize, a situation where I'm afraid. God, on everything I walk up to, I pray the thought I can't get away from is, if I believe Jesus is alive, what do I do right here? Lord, I pray it would be clear to myself. I pray it would be clear to everybody around me that I believe you're alive. For I really do believe it's awesome that you're alive. I really do believe it's awesome what you conquered, what you achieved for me at the cross and in overcoming death. May I realize every relationship, every job, every class, every teacher, every coach, every student, everywhere I am, everywhere I'm going, all of it is just an opportunity to express I believe Jesus is alive. Lord, would you show me, show us how we do that every day, all day, this week and every week to come. 
until you come back. And we say, oh, praise God, he really is alive. I'm sure glad I did those things. It's in your name we pray. Amen.